This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Wow, what a fucking day. What a week, actually. First, we get the news that there's a suspect in custody for the 1999 murders of Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman. Now this. It's fucking unbelievable. To all the victims, survivors, their families who fought so long and so hard for justice, this day really belongs to you. To get this result after all these years, I can't find the words to describe it. It was actually Debbie Domingo and Michelle Cruz who contacted us about doing an episode, which turned out to be five episodes on the East Area Rapist, original Night Stalker, Golden State Killer. They were constantly out there, talking to anyone who'd listened to get publicity on the case. Bruce Harrington as well, who speaks in the press conference that will follow. Survivors of the East Area Rapist who bravely reported the crimes, and those who later spoke out. Jane Carson, who you heard talk on our series. All of them. They never gave up. This day belongs to them. And don't underestimate just how hardworking and how dedicated law enforcement were to cracking this thing. Bit of a story, when we were in the States last year, we actually met up with Orange County DA investigator Erica Hutchcraft and the Contra Costa County DA investigator Paul Hulls. We met them separately, but after meeting both, I remember saying, you know what, I think they'll solve this. And that wasn't based on anything they told us about the case. They didn't give us any groundbreaking info or anything that you didn't hear in the episodes to make me think that. It was just them themselves. Their dedication, their knowledge, their passion. I couldn't have walked away from those meetings any more impressed. I remember thinking if that's the quality of people they have working this case, then I think there's going to be a good result here. And obviously there's a ton of other hard-working, dedicated investigators, crime scene, forensic officers and many more who made this happen, who I don't know and therefore can't name. There's limited information available at the moment about this suspect. Everyone's obviously got tons of questions and I'm sure most of those will be answered in time. But essentially, Joseph D'Angelo came up on law enforcement's radar somehow. How they started looking at him, we don't know. As a result of whatever it was that led them to D'Angelo, they started a surveillance operation on him. From that surveillance operation, they obtained DNA from an item he discarded, and that DNA then led to an arrest. Of course, nothing has been proven yet. These are just allegations. They said in the press conference that they had certain information on how D'Angelo might react when confronted. So they came up with a plan and confronted him as he was walking out of his house. D'Angelo was shocked. Imagine what was going through his head. And something was going through his head, because in the press conference, one of the officers said that it looked like he was searching his mind to execute a formally made plan, but he never got the chance. What we do know about D'Angelo is that he was a police officer in Exeter from 1973 to 1976, 
so that puts him right in the area of Visalia. The Visalia ransacker operated from 74 to 75, and there was always that debate of whether or not the Visalia ransacker was the same offender. I'm not saying D'Angelo was the Visalia ransacker. He hasn't been charged with those crimes, and even if he is charged, they still have to be proven in court. I'm just pointing out his work history. D'Angelo then moved to the Auburn Police Department, where he worked from 1976 to 1979 until he was fired for shoplifting. He stole dog repellent and a hammer. Auburn is about a 40-minute drive north from Rancho Cordova, where the first East Area rapist attack occurred in 1976. The same year, D'Angelo was employed by the Auburn Police Department. Again, nothing has been proven here. These are just allegations. I'm just pointing out D'Angelo's work history. There's all sorts of information flying around, but one thing that caught my eye is that apparently at one time, D'Angelo was engaged to a woman named Bonnie. The East Area rapist whispered, I hate you, Bonnie, to one of the survivors during an attack. The survivor's name is not Bonnie. Again, this proves nothing. I'm just pointing out that D'Angelo was engaged to a woman named Bonnie, and that the East Area Rapist whispered the name Bonnie during an attack. There was also lots of speculation flying around that this was somehow linked to Australia. The DNA match came from an Aussie database and it's linked to Mr. Cruel, but none of that's true. Without speculating too much, another thing that caught my eye is that D'Angelo had a child born in 1981. It was his first child. The Golden State Killer committed several murders in 1981, up until the time D'Angelo's first child was born. After D'Angelo's first child was born, the Golden State Killer stopped. The next murder wasn't until five years later, in 1986, the murder of Janelle Cruz. After that, as far as we know, the Golden State Killer didn't kill again. Now, further information may come to light as the investigation rolls on that there were further attacks between 81 and 86 or after 86, but so far, as far as we know, according to the timeline that we have, that was the last attack. I thought it was pretty significant as far as the timeline goes, but again, it proves nothing. There will obviously be lots more information coming out over the following days, weeks, months, years, and we will do an in-depth update in time. Probably a whole new series will be needed for all of the updates and new information that comes to light. Again, I'd just like to make clear, nothing has been proven in court yet. These are simply allegations. But we'll end this one with some snippets from the press conference that was held only a few hours ago. I'm Marie Schubert, I'm the District Attorney of Sacramento County. Before I start, I'd like to just do some introductions on who is here today. Um, we have, in addition to myself, Sheriff, uh, Sacramento Sheriff Scott Jones, Ventura County District Attorney Greg Totten, Orange County District Attorney Tony Rakakis, Contra Costa County District Attorney Dinah Becton, Alameda County District Attorney Nancy O'Malley, Sacramento FBI Special Agent in Charge Sean Regan, United States Attorney for the Northern District, McGregor Scott, Assemblyman Jim Cooper, Bruce Harrington, the brother of Keith Harrington, Irvine Police Department Chief Mike Hamill, and our Crime Lab Director Chip Pollock. Let me first by saying 
this. The answer has always been in Sacramento. For over 40 years, countless victims have waited for justice. Over these years, hundreds of individuals have sought justice for these victims and their families. Many have dedicated their virtual entire professions to seeking this answer. For many of us, it was more than a professional commitment. It became personal for many of us. For me, here in Sacramento County, in June of 1976, I was 12. I grew up in the east area of Sacramento, near the cluster of where these crimes began. My sisters ranged from 10 to 16 at the time. As I have said many times over the last 18 years, at least for me, for us here in Sacramento, it was a time of innocence in 1976. No one locked their doors. Kids rode their bikes to school. Parents let their children play outside. The only thing we were told as a family was you just needed to be home before dark. We did not have things like cell phones or social media. And then for all of us here in this community that lived in this community during this time, it all changed. For anyone that lived here in this community, here in Sacramento, the memories are very vivid. You can ask anyone that grew up here, everyone has a story. But it must be remembered that it was not just Sacramento, that this, this case deeply affected this entire state. And then in June of 2016, at the 40th anniversary for the beginning of this series, The East Area Rapist, a press conference was held here in Sacramento, hosted by the Sacramento County Sheriff's Department and the FBI, attended by many agencies across California that have dedicated their careers and professions to coming to some kind of answer. The message was clear in 2016. The magnitude of this case demanded that it be solved. There were upwards of 50 rapes, 12 murders, crimes that spanned 10 years across at least 10 different counties, Northern, Central, and Southern California. And it was that day in June of 2016 that we, in public safety, reiterated our commitment to the victims and to justice. In this case, the East Area Rapist, the Golden State Killer. And it was that day that we embarked upon what I call our journey for justice. A journey by people across borders, across all professions, police officers, FBI agents, crime lab employees, victim advocates, prosecutors, community leaders, elected officials, all with one mission, to find the answer, to give victims a voice, and ultimately to identify this person and bring him to justice. We brought together 
We brought teams together not long after that press conference. We dedicated more resources, more people, and we created what I have called Team Justice, an incredible collaboration of individuals with one mission. There are things about that journey and that commitment that each of us knew. The answer was and always was going to be in the DNA. We knew we could and should solve it using the most innovative DNA technology available at this time. We all knew that it would take passion. We all knew that it would take persistence. Last Wednesday at 8.15 in the evening, I received an email from the daughter of Sherry Domingo, who was murdered in Southern California. Her name is Debbie. She was 15 at the time. Last Wednesday, she emailed, in essence, I'm going to paraphrase, Hi, Anne-Marie. I thought the editing for the recent documentary was brilliant. She quoted from the show, quote, This case will be solved because of sheer persistence. She went on to say, I have those words posted in a few places in my home and my workplace, so I can see them at various times throughout the day. Thank you for that persistence. I have faith. We all knew as part of this team that we were looking for a needle in a haystack, but we also all knew that the needle was there. In the last six days, and I emphasize the last six days, that passion, that persistence, and the knowledge finally came to an answer in this building behind us here, our crime lab. Crime lab employees, DNA analysts who worked tirelessly in the last few days to provide that answer. Yesterday, an arrest warrant was issued, a complaint was filed, charging that individual with two counts of murder with special circumstances for the murder of Brian and Katie Maggiore here in Sacramento in February 1978. It is fitting that today is National DNA Day. We found the needle in the haystack and it was right here in Sacramento. And with that, I would like to introduce our Sheriff Scott Jones. Good afternoon. Before I talk a little bit about this case, I'd like to make just a couple preliminary comments. Um, when I became sheriff in Sacramento in 2010, there were very few outstanding cases that drew the passion and the interest and the dogged determination to solve as the East Area Rapist. The sheriff that I took over from, Sheriff John McGinnis, who's here with us today, told me about the importance of it. And I don't know that I fully appreciated it at that time, but I can tell you that without exception, weekly and sometimes more, I get telephone calls or emails to this day from former employees, former detectives, community members from all over this country that believe that they know or at least have some information on who the East Area Rapist was. I committed then to do everything that I could to solve it. 
had a lot of conversations early on with District Attorney Schubert about how we could do it. And those discussions really touched the passion of both of us to solve this case. Both of us committed the best and the brightest, our hand-picked folks, to oversee the resolution of this case and gave virtually unlimited resources and freedom to pursue whatever leads and technology currently existed. So I can tell you that over the last few days, as information started to point towards this individual, we started some surveillance, we were able to get some discarded DNA, and we were able to confirm what we thought we already knew, that we had our man. And yesterday afternoon, in a perfectly executed arrest, my detectives arrested James Joseph D'Angelo, 72 years old, living in Citrus Heights. I can tell you that although it was DNA, ultimately, that led us down the right road, there were a lot of places that road could have led. I don't want to underscore, I can't underscore enough, the absolute human factor, the dogged determination of not only the detectives working on this case, but the passion of the district attorney, myself, the community, and the victims. All too often we forget about talking about the victims. And today, we at least brought the first step towards closure for those victims of these horrendous crimes. So I want to thank not only the district attorney and the crime lab and the DNA that helped us get here, but my own detectives and the detectives from all of these folks represented by the, the leaders standing behind me when we put together this working group two years ago. We now hear from Bruce Harrington brother of Keith Harrington and brother-in-law to Paddy Harrington, who were murdered in Dana Point, 1980. 51 rapes and 12 murders. Today I'd like to speak to the multi-generation, hundreds and hundreds of multi-generational victims of this staggering crime spree. It is time for all victims to grieve and to take measure one last time to bring closure to the anguish that we've all suffered for the last 40 some odd years. It is time for the victims to begin to heal so long overdue for law enforcement bravo 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 their tenacity their patience their unrelenting focus a shout out for Tony Rakakis for Steve Cooley for Lisa Kahn uh, Marie Schubert, Jan Scully, Larry Poole. The names go on, and we've known many, many of them over the years. Today is also a reaffirmation of the power and the public safety that's associated with forensic DNA technology. I began my quest in the mid-90s, when DNA finally came of force into the world of forensic science, 
My brother and his wife were killed in 80. So it was 15 years until we finally heard that there was a DNA sample taken from our crime scene. And as the years rolled on, there were other DNA samples that became common to one unknown perpetrator. It's been a struggle to bring DNA in California to the forefront of that forensic crime scene investigation tool. Surprisingly, when I looked at the situation in the late 90s, California was a laggard. Virginia, Florida, some of the other more progressive states on the East Coast were light years ahead of California. I spent time in Sacramento in the early 2000s, appearing before Assembly and Senate Public Safety Committees, pleading that they embrace the power of DNA. And frankly, I ran into a buzzsaw of opposition. So in 2003, it became apparent that nothing was going to happen through Sacramento. Senator Burton on the Senate Public Safety Committee, my nemesis, I shamed you then and I shame you now. You were wrong. DNA, what, what, what it's all about, it's a three-legged stool. The DNA with a powerful database allows the sample to be checked to against old cases, against those that have been wrongly accused, against those that have been wrongly convicted and are sitting in prison. Over the years, innocence projects have flourished at law schools in particular, using DNA to try and exonerate those wrongly committed. I hope they continue. They are robust and active part of the harnessing of DNA technology. DNA also solves current crimes. This isn't a current crime, that's an old crime, but it's finally solved by DNA. DNA also looks out and cuts down on future crime by using that database to, ex to exonerate those that have been wrongly um, suspicioned and otherwise allow current crimes and to be solved efficiently. I end with a plea to the voters because we are back circulating another petition this year, right now. Go out to your Walmart, go out to your, to your markets, and you'll find people gathering signatures. There is a Keep California Safe proposition, just like there was the DNA Prop 69 position back in 2004. But here we now now in spring and summer of 18, filing another petition to build up, to improve, to build upon and create an even more robust DNA database in California.
We need signatures. We need 500,000 signatures by mid-June. It'll be on the November ballot. Vote for it. And you're going to ask yourself, why is it that we're having to circulate a signature petition again? And I would tell you, the Burton, Burton accolades that are still controlling the public safety committees in the Assembly and the Senate, again, have disappointed their job and made a mockery of the name of their committee, the Public Safety Committee. So vote for that proposition. And again, to the entire reservoir of victims out there, my sadness is with you. For the 51 ladies who were brutally raped in this crumb scene, sleep better tonight. He isn't coming through the window. He's now in jail and he's history. Thank you. Hello everyone, I'm Sergeant Sean Hampton, the spokesman for the Sacramento County Sheriff's Department. Right now, Sheriff Jones and District Attorney Anne-Marie Schubert will be answering questions. I understand there's a lot of questions. Please be patient. There's no way we will get to them all, but we will do our best. I can ask three interrelated questions. Maybe this goes, I'm not sure which one. So you talked a little bit about the DNA collection. Apparently you targeted him. Why did you target him? More details on how you collected that DNA and what does it link it to? Is only those four crimes with which he's out charged or are there others of those 177 that are out there? Um. In terms of the type of DNA, the only thing we're prepared to say at this time is that it was linked through DNA using current and innovative techniques to do that. Um, as for the other crimes that we know in California, as your list that you've been handed, there's many of them that match by DNA. It is the same DNA as those that have been charged in the Ventura case, um, as Mr. Totten mentioned. But those that they just haven't been charged yet. We're just haven't gone to that point. This has happened at a very lightning speed, is what I would say. Um, I'm simply going to say he was identified through DNA uh, technology. Can you corroborate that there was a tip that came in to either the FBI or one of your offices last week? No, that's no, that's not correct. It's not correct. No. Sheriff, can you talk about the arrest? What, Sorry. Describe how that went down. You said it was a it was. Um, I can tell you, and, and obviously I'm going to have to be a bit circumspect because this is still a very active investigation. I mean, as we speak, there are warrants being served and interviews being conducted. Um, but what I can tell you is this has all happened in a very rapid uh, last few days, a, a very compact period of time. During that time, we were able to surveil him. Um, we got a feel for some of his um, activities or lack thereof got kind of some information regarding his routines. Um, we got some information relative to what he might do if confronted or apprehended uh, based on the information we were able to glean from that surveillance. Uh, so we developed a plan uh, to wait for him to come out of his residence rather than try and approach him in the residence or when he's out, um, out and about in a, in a vehicle. Um, and so when he came out of his residence, we had a team in place that was able to take him into custody. Um, he was very surprised by that. Um, it, it looked as though he might have been searching his mind to execute a particular plan he may have had in mind. Obviously speculation on my part, but he was not given the opportunity. It happened almost instantaneously, and he was taken into custody without, without incident at all. Sergio, Sergio. So many crimes, looking back, 
what was it about Jose Bull that allowed him to uh, avoid law enforcement for as long as he did? Well, I, I can't speak to that uh, specifically, but I, I can say generally, uh, you know, until we got a working group together and were able to associate our, you know, our East, East Area Rapist was someone else's golden uh, state killer, uh, until we were able to collaborate and really start looking at the, the MOs, the, the manner in which he carried out his crimes and see the linkages between the crimes and the DNA that, that, that tied many of them together. Um, that was a real breaking point for us and allowed us to not only get more manpower and more brain power on this case, but allowed us to get more clues and follow up on more leads. In the back, did, did he use a hammer and dog repellent in his crimes that said that he was fired from Auburn PD for shoplifting that? Can you add to that anyway? Well, I can, I can confirm that that's the information we have at the moment. Now, obviously, part of our um, ongoing investigation is to kind of work backwards to try and fill in a lot of the gaps that we have about his life from then, well, actually from before then to now. Um, we're aware of the same information that, that you just described. So um, we're obviously going to be looking in to see whether the, a hammer or a dog repellent played into any of the attacks. But it's, again, I just, just to reiterate, it's all very, very uh, swift, and those, th those details will be investigated and meted out in the coming right, days and weeks. Thank you, Chair. Can you confirm the background? Sure, I can tell you uh, that he is an ex-officer, a police officer in two different agencies. One in the Exeter Police Department, which is down in Visalia from approximately 1973 to 1976. Um, that was roughly during the time as the Visalia ransacker cases were occurring. I can then say that he uh, applied for and got a job with the Auburn Police Department. He was employed there from roughly uh, 1976 to 1979 uh, until he was fired for, for uh, what you just heard. Well, very possibly he was committing the crimes during the time he was employed as a peace officer. And obviously we'll be looking into whether it was actually on the job or whether it was, you know, something that by on the job, I assume you mean during the time he was employed. Do it, yeah, I, I don't know that yet, but obviously that's a question that we're going to want to answer as well. Up front here. Thank you. Did the new book all be gone in the dark generate any new leads in the case or help leads? I'm glad you asked that question because that's a question we've gotten from literally all over the world in the last 24 hours, and the answer is no. Um, other than the fact that it, like, like uh, as was indicated, the media kept this in the public eye and kept public interest. It kept interest and tips coming in. Um, other than that, there was no uh, information extracted from that book that directly led to the, the apprehension. Sheriff, did he live at that location by himself? Any other people that residents? Does he have a family somewhere? Can you give us? He does have a family. I'm not prepared to talk about what his family is, but he does have adult children. Um, at that residence? That, that's really all I'm prepared to say at the time. Do we know where we in ended the back up right after, after Auburn? Do we know where we ended up after uh, Auburn meeting? Uh, we don't. We, the, well, we don't have a full picture yet. We're still filling in that timeline. And, Sheriff, uh, I think you assume that you said the book didn't play a direct role in the same applies to the age of the documentary as well. Uh, no question. Second, provide just a little bit more information on what led you to him. I know you said it was DNA, of course, but, but, but what led you to take a DNA test? Sure, there's, um, and again, I have to be a bit circumspect here, but when I said in my earlier comments that, you know, the DNA actually got us to a road, but the road had many destinations, possible destinations, um, I can first say that even backing up from the DNA, that we would have never got to a DNA sample or ability to, to compare it 
without the dogged determination of the detectives on this case. So it's not like it ultimately would have come to us anyways. That's just simply not the case. This was a, a true convergence of emerging technology and dogged determination by detectives. So once we got information that led us to a general, I mean, it's almost like the DA pointed us east so we could exclude north, west, and south, but we still had to do a lot of investigative follow-up and drill down from that direction of east until we got to this person. We did a lot of exclusions of other folks, got this person that looked like he might be uh, our guy, and then uh, we're able to get at least an initial um, discarded DNA sample that gave us uh, more confidence that this was our person and we're able to continue and get a, a better, more workable sample of DNA. It, I will just say at this point it was discarded DNA sample. Was it his family's right DNA, somebody in his family who, who tested? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear the question. So I, I'm, I'm absolutely certain there will be a trial. There remain questions, and I don't want to speak for the prosecution, but obviously there, there will have to be some organization as to who, who and where and, and when, but I can guarantee you, I mean, in this case, um, you know, justice was delayed. Uh, it wasn't swift, but I can assure you it will be sure. Let me just say something in terms of the prosecution. Um, there are many jurisdictions involved. I think I mentioned there's 10 counties, and so, sorry, Fog. Um, so... Those decisions are going to be made in the immediate future. This right now, as I said before, this has occurred in the last six days. And so um, we have to take time and do it right and get together and meet in the best Methodist uh, District Attorney Rakakis said. So um, that will take some time. Yes, sir. Had his name ever come up before last week in any of these investigations, to your knowledge? Uh, the answer is no. You talked about the last six days. What is I think the sheriff mentioned that a sample was collected from him, um, abandoned sample. So that's what ultimately changed the tide. And I will say this, because everybody's got questions about the DNA. Uh, the answer of, of your questions is going to come out in a timely fashion. But this case is still active. And so, you know, as much as you want to know, and I understand it, uh, we can't answer the specifics on the exact type of technology, but that will come out. All right, one more question over here. We have, I will say we have interviewed some family members without actually identifying who they are or what relationship they are. We have interviewed them, and they are as cooperative, and um, certainly uh, it's uh, quite a shock to them, as you might expect. Can I ask the DA a question? Well, we're trying to backtrack that, so we're still working on the, the actual timeline from then to now. All right, one more. Down here. A quick question, uh, Ms. Schubert. Yes, sir. They're tying up a loose end in this long story. There had been one point some discussion that um, the person in these cases was linked to something happened in Australia. Uh, I heard that, so that yesterday, changed. but that's, that's not... Do you have any information in that universe, or that's just still an open loose end? We have no information the person's linked to Australia. So um, I think this just about wraps it up for us today. I, under, I understand. Listen, I understand there's a lot of questions. We have a lot of work to do on the back end. There's a lot of folks behind me to have to get back to work. So I appreciate your time. I appreciate your patience. We will try to field interviews as information comes available. And I thank you again for coming today.
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.